Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett, and I've used my Move the Ball system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize the same tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. Jen Garrett here. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. Now, I have a few things to mention before we get into today's episode, which if you've listened to the show before, these should not be a surprise. So first, if you are not already a subscriber, make sure that you hit that subscribe button so you can subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to the show on, and that way you will always be in the know when new episodes drop. And second, if you find this podcast to be of value, share it with someone else too. I'm always looking to grow and reach more people, so you telling a friend or two or three is helpful for me to move the ball. Okay, so today I've got a very interesting guest with us someone from the world of hockey and who played for my team, the Chicago Blackhawks. So inside the huddle with us today and ready to help us to move the ball and move the puck is Adam Bennett. Adam is a former NHL player who has over 20 years of business acumen in sports, recreation, management, and finance. Adam was a first round pick, sixth overall by the Blackhawks in the 1989 NHL early draft. And he played during his NHL career with the Chicago Blackhawks, as well as the Edmonton Oilers. Adam currently is a sports industry consultant, a hockey advisor with DNA Sports Management, and he's also the athlete's advisor in business and in life. And we will talk about all of that and more in today's show. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jen. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Well, I'm so glad that you could join us today. I'm really excited for our chat. It's been a little while since I've talked about hockey on the show. And as you know, I had Nigel Kerwin on the show earlier in the season, who for those listening that don't know Nigel, Nigel is one of the coaches for the Tampa Bay Lightning. So we talked about their journey winning the Stanley Cup last season. They obviously won again this year. So I'm gonna have to have him back on the show talking about that journey. But I'm just really excited to have you here with us, Adam, so that you can share your background and your insights playing hockey and your success both on and off the ice. And then also, I think something that would be great to talk about on the show, as I mentioned in your bio, you currently are a hockey advisor. And I'd love to spend some time also talking about the difference between an advisor and an agent. So we'll get into that as well. Terrific. Thank you. Yeah. So let's start off our conversation. You're from Canada, but here's the question. How did you get into hockey? A Canadian boy that got into hockey. How did that happen? I think we're born with skates on. (laughs) It's just what we did. My dad was a hockey player. My mom was a hockey player. Heck, my grandmother was a hockey player. It was in the blood. I think we started skating probably around two or three outdoor ponds, ice rinks, whatever. It's just natural. It's it's part of the culture, really. And so you're just born and raised in the Canadian environment. And hockey is just really the one thing that draws everybody together in that country. So I think it was just natural. And I played with my friends. I played in my hometown. The story turned out great. And my journey was very different from probably a lot of other players. But it was just, how did we get started? I don't remember. But I do know that 
it's always been a part of my life right from the get-go. And there are so many lessons that competitive sports teach you and being an athlete teaches you to be successful in whatever it is you end up doing in life, whether it's playing professional sports or a business career or whatever. And so when you look back at your time playing hockey, what are some of those lessons that you think have really helped you to be successful? Well, primarily, there's two things that I would draw on. First is it has to be fun. And no matter how difficult hockey became and it became a business, I was always reminded that it's just a game and you have to enjoy the competition. You have to enjoy getting up every day and battling and going to work. I think I relay that to the work that I do today is you just have to enjoy it. It shouldn't feel like work. And if it does, then maybe it's the wrong business to be in. But there's a passion that you have to have for it. And it's not always going to be fun. But there's got to be something underlying that makes you want to do it and makes you want to thrive and survive in tough times. So the first thing was I always reminding myself it's just a game that I needed to compete and win or lose. I was going to always just give my best. The second thing that I learned that I still use today is it's all about mentality. I probably played with a lot of players that were better skaters. They could play hockey better, bigger, faster, stronger, all that good stuff. The thing that changed me because I was sort of what they call a bubble player for a couple of years was just the mentality, changing my mindset. It wasn't physical that put me into the NHL. It was mental. And so nothing about me had changed physically. I was still playing the same game, but my mentality changed. And somehow I responded and and became an NHL player. And it all happened when I started working on the mental side of what an athlete has to endure. And I've carried that with me right through. So through all the challenges, I recognize that these moments can be handled with mental toughness. So I try and teach that today with the kids that I advise is uh, to help them through the mental part of the game. Because that really is the biggest factor that determines their outcome. Absolutely. You bring up two great points. I mean, mental toughness is key in competitive sports. It's key to being successful in life in general. And I mean, just you're in Tampa. So just to bring up, I know people bring up Tom Brady all the time, but he's just got some solid mental toughness. And there's lots of examples of Tom coming back and winning a game. One of the most popular ones that people talk about is the Super Bowl when they ended up coming back when he was in New England to beat the Atlanta Falcons. And just having that mental ability to stay locked in and focused, even though you're down by many touchdowns, to turn it around. And there are, of course, other factors that had to work out for them to win. But I mean, mental toughness is so important. Being successful is so much more about the mental side than just your talents or your abilities, whether that's sports or in business or in life. Of course. I mean, that really is the differentiator between success and failure is mental toughness, being able to overcome obstacles, pick out the positives, pick yourself up because you're going to get knocked down. And I think for a lot of people that get knocked down, they tend to stay down unless they have mental ability to get back up, find the positives and just keep moving. And a lot of it is really what determines how great people are going to be is what they can do mentally. Sure. And I think that ties also into the first point that you made about having fun and doing things that you're passionate about because in life, things don't always go as planned, whether that's in sports and business or whatever. But if you're doing something that you're passionate about, that helps keep your mental toughness stronger because you're excited about showing up every day and 
trying to get through the grind and the challenges and the adversity and everything and the successes too that come along with that journey. Oh, absolutely. Life is to be enjoyed. I mean, that's one of the reasons I came to Tampa was change of scenery, but just to get out and enjoy year-round activity, I suppose. But success is, it's hard to determine like what is success and everybody has different levels or ways to gauge success. But I kind of gauge it as if you're doing what you want to do when you want to do it. To me, that's success. It's not a, a financial thing. It's not a status thing or anything. If you get up every day and you're passionate about what you're doing and you enjoy what you're doing, you are successful. You don't need to gauge by what car you're driving or where you live or what your house is. It's what you're doing on a daily basis that gives you pleasure. And that to me is success. So whatever you're doing, you have an ability to be the most successful at it than anybody else. If you, in your mind, you're achieving what you want to do. Absolutely. And I think as we've gone through COVID and this pandemic, I think it's a reminder for people about how short life really is and that we need to be focused on spending time with the people that matter, doing things that we're really excited about and not just settling and going to a job that where so many people are miserable in their jobs because they just have just accepted that that is how it's going to be. You know, they go to work, they they punch a clock or whatever it is they do. And then they feel like, okay, well, I'll be happy after work instead. But you know, when I come to work, I just got to do this. I got to collect the paycheck, feed my family. This is what I have to do. And that's the farthest from the truth. I mean, figure out what it is that you want to do and then go off and do it. I mean, I spent many, many years in the corporate environment. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. But after my dad passed away very unexpectedly, I really started thinking about, and my listeners know the story, I really started thinking about, well, what is it that I want to leave behind? What's my legacy going to be? Because I was building this corporate resume, which was great. It was important to me. But then I was like, okay, well, then what, right? I go and nobody cares. So I left corporate and I grew the Move the Ball brand and the movement. And I'm coming up on the two-year mark of being a full-time entrepreneur. And there are days that have been amazing. There are days that have been not so amazing. But people, when they hear me talk about the journey and just what I'm doing now, like they can hear a different level of excitement in my voice. I loved what I did in corporate, but it was just, there was a difference. And, you know, it gives you that when you're really focused on your true purpose and your passion, you have that mental toughness to get through whatever life throws your way. Well, and if you look back at the two years that the roller coaster that you've probably been on and where you are now and where you might be in another couple of years, that's the exciting part is you're in control. You're not on somebody else's time. You're doing what you want to do. To me, that's success. So I think if more people find that same mentality, I think they'd be a lot happier in their life right now. Absolutely. Completely agree. So let's talk about you playing professional hockey for the Blackhawks first. So I mentioned earlier that you were drafted in the first round of the 89 NHL early draft. What was it like being drafted by the Blackhawks organization? And talk to us about your time there. I'll go back. I mean, I grew up in Georgetown, Ontario, which is a small town outside of Toronto. And I guess we followed the Toronto Maple Leafs and that was about it. We had our Saturday night hockey night in Canada activity. So obviously it was a dream goal to have been drafted. I was drafted early. What I didn't realize at the time was the amount of pressure that was put on 18-year-old kids. And of course, I reflect on it now and I, it's even a lot more pressure on these kids. Then you're thrust into an environment that you're not familiar with. And honestly, it was hard because I don't think I had the mental capacity to deal with it. 
It took me a while to develop that. What happened for me was a lot of challenges that come up that I wasn't prepared for. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have somebody that could coach me through it. Kind of felt like I was on my own. And then you go into the big city of Chicago and yes, exciting times. You're playing against players that you saw on TV or idolized. And now you're one of them, but it was challenging. And it didn't really hit me until after when I retired and probably 10 years later that I reflect back and go, wow, that was hard. <laughs> it was difficult. There was moments that I wanted to quit and think, well, geez, you know, you make the NHL. Why do you want to quit? I wanted to quit because it wasn't fun. You know, I wasn't enjoying myself. There was so much pressure being put on me and, and so much pressure that I put on myself. And then I picked up some reading material that changed my mentality. And literally within two weeks of changing my mental outlook, then I became a full-time NHL player. Then I was traded to Edmonton, which was sort of a relief because I got to play with some players my own age. So you got to understand Chicago was a lot older players. They were established. I was the 18, 19-year-old coming in, playing with late 20s, 30-year-olds who had been around the league for a long time. They went to the Stanley Cup final in 92. I kind of felt like an outcast when I got to Edmonton. These are more of the younger guys, the guys that I played junior hockey with, or related a lot more to them, but kept working through it. And then I guess 48 games into my time with Edmonton, I blew out my knee and I tore the ACL, the MCL, the LCL, and the cartilage all in one injury. So it was a massive surgery to just reconnect everything and put everything back in my knee and then having to suffer. It was almost two years of rehab and multiple surgeries. And then finally, at the end of the day, a doctor saying, well, you can't play anymore. And I mean, after two years, I kind of realized I wouldn't be able to play anyways. But fortunately, I still had that mental capacity to push through and keep going because it was a difficult time. So I want to reflect back and say it was great. It was. It was fantastic. I enjoyed every minute of NHL career. Although being short, I get it. But having the tenacity to keep going. And that was in 94, I got injured. And here we are many, many years later. And I've still made hockey my passion. It's still my career. I've just found another way to exercise my love for the game in a way and give back. So I've made hockey my whole career, basically. So I'm excited to have gone through it. And I'm still learning every day. But when I'm learning, I'm able to pass on to the next generation of players. And when it became time to hang up the skates with a lot of professional players, a lot of guys that I work with in the football space, they always feel like they have more left to give, but it's time for them to hang it up because of an injury or there's no teams calling them saying, hey, I want to sign you. And so how was that transition for you? You had this injury, you realized it was time to figure out what was next. The mental piece of that is obviously something that some people struggle with. How was that like for you? Well, because I had two years of recuperation, the injury happened in March and then 94. And then I had surgeries. I had rehabilitations. I had assignments to try and play again. It wasn't just a sudden, here's the injury and you're done. It was, here's the injury, here's the rehab, here's the plan to get back. And after two years of not being able to perform, I guess, I kind of knew it in my head. I just needed somebody to tell me 
because I just kept going. I'm like, well, what more can we do? Eventually, the doctors had to say, okay, well, we need to do another surgery, but this is going to be it. Like, you're not going to be able to play. So it took that somebody else to go into my ear and tell me that it's over. So, but I was prepared. I, I think I knew underneath that whatever I was doing was not working, that it wasn't going to work. It was an easy acceptance on my part. What happened next was the realization, okay, well, now what? Because hockey, being a hockey player was all I knew from the time I was young till they had, had to retire. That's all I did. That's all I knew. I didn't go to school for anything else. I didn't pick up any trades. It became, well, now what? Try and figure out this life. And you really are left on your own. There's no program or anything that where you move from the game into, I guess, civilian life where you're, you got to get up on your own. There's no timelines. Nobody's telling you what to do, what to eat, what plane to catch. You are then on your own. And it's a very lonely time. It took me probably a year to figure out what I'm going to do next, reflect on a lot of things and try and change the direction. The common thing though, even though I've strayed from hockey briefly at periods there, it's the draw of the game has always brought me back. So I've always found some way to stay connected. Even when I talk to the young, you know, at the end of their careers, because they're not going to go on to NCAA or professionals, there are other avenues to stay in the game. The game is not just players. The game is many different levels. And if they choose to make the game their career, they can. They just need to figure out the role that really fills them with their passion and how to stay involved. There's many different things. You can get into coaching, you get into refereeing, administration, you could be the GM, you could be owner, you could marketing. There's so many different things, advisors, agents, so on and so on. If they want to stay in the game, they certainly can. They just need to figure out how to do it. Yeah, there's so many other things, as you mentioned, that you can get into to still be around the sport that you love. You're just not playing it, but there's so many other ways to still be a part of it. And so let's talk about what you're doing Currently, as an athlete advisor, your work with DNA Sports Management, share with us what is the difference between an advisor and what you do versus an agent? First, how I got into being an advisor, because I didn't have great relationships with my agents. I guess agents fill a role of you know, negotiating contracts, and that's about it. And they, they do serve a purpose. So I never really had a great relationship because I always wanted a mentor. I needed somebody to give me advice, somebody that had experience. My agents were mostly lawyers and so forth, and they get paid commission or percentage of the contract that they negotiate for you. And so I was involved in the hockey academy business. And when COVID hit, we had an academy in Clearwater and it was forced to close. I then had to reflect and say, well, what next? And the advisor role kind of found me because the players that I was coaching and managing came back to me and were asking for help. They needed to placement into other programs. A lot of them were Europeans. They wanted to get back over. So the advisor role found me in that I could help these players, but I didn't want to be an agent. So the difference is I get paid a fee to up front to help these players through transition. I help them find teams, placement services. I help coach them on video, meaning most of their games are online. So I'm able to watch some games and give some feedback that way. I also became a mental coach for these kids so that we could give them a baseline test on their mental strengths and weaknesses. So I'm able to help them 
really give back. That's the area that I focused on mostly in my career was the mental side of the game. So now I'm able to coach the kids on the mental aspects that they need to do in order to survive. Why it works is because the NCAA does not allow agents. They're not allowed to have agents, but the role of advisor is really expanded. So in the U.S., probably more so than Canada, because Canada, the goal of Canadian players isn't generally NCAA, although a lot of them are. A large percentage do want NCAA. So they can't have an agent, but they can have an advisor. So to me, it's more of a mentorship, relaying my experiences, giving them guidance, giving them comfort helping them through situations that an agent really isn't interested in. They just want to be able to negotiate contracts. So that's the role that I fill. I become a mentor, the one that I wish I'd had coming up in Georgetown, Ontario. And something I want to come back to tied into your current role is you mentioned that when you were drafted, being an 18-year-old kid, there was all this pressure placed on you. And social media has added another layer of complexity to everybody's lives, but public figures, athletes, as well. And so how have you seen this new level of social media where you know, athletes are currently in the spotlight for everything? It's not just about a game, it's what you're doing in your day-to-day life, people are posting. Have you found that that's added quite a bit more pressure on these younger kids as they're trying to navigate their way through hockey? That's a great question. First of all, I'm thankful we didn't have social media when I was playing. (laughs) A lot of it might come back to haunt you. I don't know that they know any difference. It is their life. It is what they're used to. So I don't know if they feel any added pressure. I think it, it might be different, but they're used to it. I mean, if I had to go back and go through it, yeah, I think it would be scary time to have everything posted online and you're always looking for likes and there's a lot of negativity on social media. I post for business purposes. I don't generally post a lot of personal activity. I make comments for friends in certain situations, but most of the time I just leave be because I really don't need to know what you're eating or what you're doing generally speaking, but that's just me. But some people are engaged in it all the time. And does it add pressure? Absolutely. Everybody has an opinion and now they have a platform in which to express their opinion. And many ways social media is such a negative is that if you don't agree with somebody's opinion, then you know they're immediately an enemy. And it's okay to have different opinions. It's okay to express different opinions. If I don't agree with your opinion, I don't think social media is the place for me to state my opinion. I'm willing to have a conversation and so forth, but social media doesn't allow you really to have that conversation. It's more of just point form comments and negativity. So I hope the players that when they post, if there is negativity, they're able to block it out. It's a challenge for a lot of players in order to do that. They get a lot of negativity being in the visitor's stadium or arena, they need to be mentally tough. Maybe they're doing it at a younger age now. I'm not sure. The kids that I work with, they'll post pictures of themselves, just hockey pictures and so forth. Political agendas aside or whatever, it doesn't really interest me. It doesn't really interest them. So hopefully they're able to stay focused. But I think it's just the life that they're accustomed to. That's a great question, though. Yeah. And you bring up a really great point. Folks who are 18, 19, 20, social media has been around for pretty much their entire life. Whereas people who are older, like you and I remember when there was no social media. So we went through that transition, but 
younger kids, they're just used to it. They're just used to it. I think it's just part of their lifestyle. And I have a son that is into gaming. Some people might be alarmed at the hours spent in gaming, but that's what they do. The older generation say, well, get outside and go play. That's what we did because we didn't have gaming. <laughs> Would we have done the same if the Xbox and the Playstations were around? I get it. My son is physically active. He plays hockey. He's a goalie and he's active. But his side passion is getting online and doing that. I know for millions of people out there, it's the same. They enjoy getting online and that's their community and that's what they're used to. And it wouldn't be my thing. We always want to get outside and do things. That's what our generation did. So things change. I mean, that's what they're used to. Social media is what they're used to. So, Adam, before we go to my two-minute drill, I want to ask you, what advice would you have for guys who are transitioning out of hockey and looking to figure out what's next for them? What kind of advice would you tell them? There'd be a couple of things. No matter what position you're at as a player still, or as a player exiting the game, or even a player that's been out of the game, everybody needs a mentor, needs a coach, needs somebody that they can bounce ideas off and who's relatable. So for players that are transitioning out of the game, they need to go to the players that have already done it. The alumni and the players associations, they have transition programs. I suggest they connect with them or just connect with old teammates that have gone through it because it's a scary thing when you have to go through it alone and they don't need to. So first thing is to connect with old teammates and so forth. The next thing is to find out what they're passionate about or what's going to get them up in the morning and get them moving. There is a survivalist mentality of, okay, I got bills to pay. I need a job. What ends up happening is they might be miserable and they could do it for a couple of years and it'd be fine. But if somebody helps them early on, they might be able to find the next target and create the road path to get there. So like I talked to my players and my boys that I advise is, what do you want? The first question should be, it's probably the hardest question to answer is, what do you want? What do you really want? Most people understand what they don't want. It's very hard to answer clearly, what do you want? But once you find out what you want, life gets easier because the roadmap becomes clearer. So ask yourself, what do I want? in any situation. And that makes things a little bit easier. So I would suggest those two things. Yeah. And I think getting that clarity is important for everybody, not just athletes, right? We all should be very clear on what it is that we want, what our focus should be, what our passion is. I like how you mentioned people tend to know what they don't want, right? That's the easy part, but spending the time to figure out, okay, where do I really want to go with my career? I feel like people don't spend as much time thinking through that piece. It's the most simple question, but it's yet the hardest question. And when you find out what you want, suddenly things get a little bit easier because all the distractions that come in, all the things that pull you in different directions, unless they're pulling you towards what you want, you're able to quickly dismiss them. And then you can stay focused and then you'll keep moving. Absolutely. Yeah. And as you were saying that I was thinking about, I was having a conversation last night actually with an, a fellow entrepreneur. And we were talking about how we had turned down different opportunities because it didn't align with our brand. Could we have made money off of them? Sure. But both he and I have walked away from deals that just, it wasn't the right fit. It wasn't what we wanted to do. It didn't align with our brand. And so that is what you can do when you have that clarity, right? And you're clear on where you want to go. It's easy to say no to those things that don't fit. 
Exactly. Because they're just going to waste time and they're going to pull you off where you really want to be. Absolutely. So Adam, what I want to do now is I want to take you through my two minute drill and just ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. Okay. The first question, I think I know the answer to this, but the question is when you were 10 years old, (laughs) what did you want to be when you grew up? A 10-year-old boy in Canada. What did I want to do? Like every other 10-year-old, I wanted to be a hockey player. Not surprised. Next next question is, who would play you in a movie about your life? I'm going to say Vince Vaughn. Oh, that's a good choice. He's a Chicago Blackhawks fan. Yes. He's tall like me. And I just loved him. Okay, great choice. How about what is your favorite vacation spot? This is easy. It's St. Martin. We go every year. Nice. How about favorite ice cream flavor? I'm a basic chocolate guy. Okay. What is a pet peeve of yours? My wife will attest. I have a pet peeve when people use improper grammar online. Your versus your and their versus their. I, <laughs> if you have time to type it and put it on, at least get it right. <laughs> yes. Yes. As an attorney and author, I'm uh-huh. very big on words. And exactly, using yeah. the right words. Yep. For sure. All right. My next question is, what book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? I have a supply of James Patterson books. When I played, it was all about mental and like Tony Robbins and on and on and on. Now I enjoy brief little chapters right before bed. And that's a James Patterson. Okay. And my last question is you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? First one's going to be Henny Youngman. Do you remember Henny Youngman? I do not. <laughs> <laughs> Comedian. Take my wife, please. The story was I was a very, very young boy in St. Louis at a lunch with my family. And Henny Youngman was a comedian. He was at a table next to us and he had everybody cracking up for the entire time that we were in there. I didn't know who he was as a young boy. I later found out the comedian. I'd love to relive that. I like comedians that are quick wit, short, like a James Patterson novel, just brief and to the point. So Henny Youngman would be one. Rodney Dangerfield would be the next because I think the two of them, legends coming up with quick wit. The third would be Jimmy Carr, and he's a comedian today. I like to be entertaining, but I like comedians that can get to the point and make me laugh in a hurry. And I do have sometimes a dark humor. So Jimmy Carr, throw him into the mix to add some flavor. Okay. Sounds like it would be a very entertaining and hilarious <laughs> dinner party for sure. I would be curious to see how comedians of the past would relate with a comedian of today. Gotcha. So Adam, thank you so much for joining us. Let people know where can they follow you on social media and stay connected with you? Oh gosh. If they go to dnasportsmanagement.com, they can find some information about what I do for a hockey advisor. They can go to adambennett.ca, connect with me personally or Facebook, Instagram. I think they're all a little bit different, but AD Bennett, I don't know my handles off, but go to adambennett.ca and you can connect with me there if anybody wants to. Perfect. And we will have all of your social links in the show notes and your personal website and the DNA sports management site so people can learn more about what it is that you do and reach out and connect with you. So thank you again, Adam, so much for being on the show today. Really enjoyed our chat. Thank you, Jen. It's been my pleasure. Have a great day. And I want to just give a shout out to DNA Sports Management too. One of my good friends is also an agent in the football division there, Andre Kerwin. So going to give a shout out to my guy, Dre. And thank you all for listening to today's episode. Again, if you enjoyed the show, please share it with someone else. 
and we will catch you next time. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.